Uh, hallelujah. How's everybody feeling? It's good? Good? Um, I want everybody to stand up. We're going to stand up. And we're going to do something that I like to do whenever I'm feeling tired or discouraged or upset. I don't know if you guys know this song, but it's a very, very simple song. It's called I Got the Joy. Right? Okay, and I'm going to have you guys sing it. Now, when we sing it, it may seem like a very foolish thing to do, but what we're actually doing is we're declaring that we got the joy. Amen? And we're going to let the devil know in this place, devil, we got the joy. Joy, joy, joy down in my heart. Amen? All right, so you can turn to your neighbor. You can sing it to them. There's a couple of people that haven't been feeling well, that are sick. Speak joy because the joy of the Lord is our strength. Amen? All right, here we go. Me, 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 me. I got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Where? Down in my heart. Where? Down in my heart. I got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. You got your little jig. Down in my heart to stay. Cause I'm so happy. Cause I'm so happy. So very happy. I've got the love of Jesus in my heart. Cause I'm so happy. Happy, so very happy. I've got the love of Jesus in my heart. We're not done. One more time. I got the joy. I got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Where? Down in my heart. Where? Down in my heart. I got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Down in my heart to stay. Cause I'm so happy. So very happy. I've got the joy of Jesus in my heart. I'm so happy, so very happy. I've got the love of Jesus in my heart. Amen. Let's give a praise offering to God. Hallelujah. All right, y'all may be seated. That's why I love, I love VBS songs. There's, you know, children's songs may seem very ridiculous sometimes, but I really think that they're very, very anointed. And sometimes it's the simplest of messages that can really speak to you. One of my favorites is little by little, every day. Little by little, every way, my Jesus is changing me. He's changing me. Dun, 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 dun. Since I made, you gotta do the motion, turn a face. Hey, I've been growing in His grace. My Jesus is changing me. Oh, yeah, He's changing me. My precious Jesus, I'm not the same person that I used to be. Sometimes it's slow growing, slow oh, growing, but there's a knowing that one day perfect I will be. Amen. I, lo I love VBS. I really do. I've done it for like 10 years, and I never get tired of the songs. I could sing them all day. They're great. You got the joy? Let me hear you if you got the joy. You got the joy? Amen. Amen. You know, when you're feeling kind of discouraged and down, sometimes the sad songs don't really go, the nails in your hand, you know? You got to just sing, I got the joy, 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 hey, you know? Anyway, that's my little tidbit for you. But you guys, why don't you all turn with me to Psalm 91. Now, this passage doesn't really have anything to do with my message, but I thought it'd be good to read it. Amen. 
Amen? Because the Word of God is living. And maybe this is exactly what someone needs to hear today. We're looking at Psalm chapter 91, and we're going to read through the whole thing. Okay, we're going to go verse by verse, and then I'm going to get into my message. Okay, here we go. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. Oh, because... (laughs) Hallelujah. (laughs) Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High, who is my refuge. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. You will tread on the lion and the adder. Hmm. And the young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. Amen. Hallelujah. That is a good, good word. Amen. You know, when I went to Pattaya, um, there was this woman named Kim, and she led the intercession. Uh, She's diesel. Like, she was pretty gangster. And after every prayer time, she always lost her voice, so she always sounded really, like, husky husky and manly. Because she was like... Going around in the store. I can't even explain. It was just crazy. The, the first experience that we had with the XP team is walking into morning intercession. And immediately I knew that God was there and he was going to do something amazing. Well, anyway, Kim, she, she preached out of this passage and she said something very interesting to me. And again, this has nothing to do with my message, but she said, when it comes to intercession, you need to intercede from a place of rest. You need to intercede from a place of rest. And for me, that sounded so strange because when I think intercession, I think like warfare and and sweating and screaming. And it wasn't very restful in my mind at all. But she said that that was the key. That was the key. And she read this passage to us. And there's a part in verse number four where it says, He will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you will find refuge. Opinions, I have no idea what that really means. I looked at Mina's ESV Bible and it said wings. But I believe in some other translation it says feathers, feathers of the wings. Well, Kim was driving one day and she had this just revelation, a download that God had her under his wings. And the moment she had that revelation, she saw a feather. And then she saw another feather. And then another feather. And literally just like feathers all over her car. Not Now she wasn't, you know, in the spiritual realm. She was there in the natural, literal feathers. And when she looked up, she saw the back of a chicken truck. Right? 
And she just started laughing because she knew right then and there God was speaking to her. That's right. I got you. Isn't God so funny sometimes? I heard that. I was like, I want to see some feathers. That's, that's amazing. God is so personal. Just for her to get it. He just had her driving behind some chicken coop and some feathers started coming all up in her car. And she knew, man, God has me under his wings. Amen. Well, anyway, on another note, I have a message for you guys tonight. And the title is called Checkmate. Checkmate. You know, this church has a very unique vision. Um, it's not a vision that nobody else has. Marcus and I actually recently heard of another church that had a very similar vision in which we rejoiced over. But the vision here is to build up a mighty army. Amen? Not of just any soldier, but we're talking about mighty warriors. Amen? Now, the whole theme behind the fact that we need an army is the reality that we are in a war. How many of you guys know that we're in a war? Sometimes we completely forget and we're very comfortable where we are. And then sometimes it is so evident that you're in war. You know? But whether you feel it, whether you sense it, whether you, you know, think that that's what's going on, it doesn't change the reality. We are in war. You know, the army of God is not an identity that's temporary. It's not for this season. It's something that God has called us to be. We are the army of God. You know, and our goal is not to obtain peace for the land, but our goal is victory. Can I get an amen? Can I get an amen? You know, when I think about war, I think about that board game named Risk. You guys ever play Risk? I've never played Risk, nor have I ever wanted to, um, because one, it takes hours. Like, I see people, I don't know, it's such a long game. That's why I don't like Monopoly, because Monopoly is like, you start it, you never finish it. Anyway, there's a game named Risk, and it's a war strategy board game. All right. And so you have these little, you know, things and I actually don't know how to play it. All I know is the whole point is you got to like cover like the land or something. <laughs> Am I right? <laughs> like the whole point is like conquer, right? To conquer. Um, who, who knows how to play risk? Isn't that the point? Is that the point? To conquer? Yes. See, there you go. It's to conquer. Now, how you do that is not simply, you know, rolling the dice or, you know, the whole game, the reason why people love it so much is it includes one thing that everybody who either was in a war or who understands war knows that is absolutely necessary, which is strategy. The game of risk, from what I know, and I don't know much, but I'm pretty sure it involves strategy. See, the war that we're in today is the same thing. It's not where we just blindly fight. It's not where we respond uh, to the attacks of the devil. You see, God also supplies us not just with armor, but with strategy. Amen? You know, we can be the biggest, the baddest, the most hardcore, you know, trained hand-to-hand combat, karate, ninja, whoa, army. But if we don't have strategy, we're defenseless. We have a huge gaping hole in our plan for victory. See, God's people, we are people that need God's strategy. Well, what, what is strategy then? I looked it up, <laughs> and according to the dictionary, um, it's a plan or a method, 
a series of maneuvers for obtaining a specific goal or result. If you put it in the context of war, it describes it as the utilization during both peace and war of all a nation's forces through a large scale, long range planning and development to ensure security or victory. I don't think we're aiming for security when it comes to the kingdom of God. I think in reality, when it comes to strategy, we need a strategy for victory. Amen? You know, the enemy is also very aware of the importance of strategy. You guys ever read that book, um, Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis? It's a, you know, I, I tried reading that book like five times and I couldn't finish it because it always creeped me out. And then I just had to like walk away. And then finally I finished reading it. But it's a interesting book. Now, do we know that it's exactly what happens? No, but C.S. Lewis is using his imagination. And basically the concept of the book is an uncle writing to a nephew about uh, an uncle demon writing to a nephew demon about the strategies behind causing the human that this demon is, you know, on to fall. Now, I just totally complicated that. But basically, it was a book that kind of showed the strategy behind the enemy, to sum it up, right? And whether that's true or not precisely, it doesn't matter because it's very clear in the word of God, which is true, that the enemy has strategies. He's not going in this war blind and just attacking with every response that we give him. He's coming in with a game plan. He has a plan, a strategy, a method to kill, steal, and destroy. Now, he may not be able to win the fight because we know who wins in the end, amen? But he's still got a goal. He's still got his own little plan. And he's got a strategy to go with that. You know, some strategies are very large scale. We talked about nations. And some are very small scale pertaining to even little old me. The enemy's got strategy. He knows my vulnerabilities, my weaknesses, and he plays them to his advantage. You know, we can see so many examples in the word of God of the devil's strategies. Think about Moses and Pharaoh. If you turn to me, the, you don't have to turn there, but Exodus chapter 1. The beginning of Exodus describes Pharaoh in his beginning stages. And one thing that he notices is how big and how strong the Israelites are becoming. And the devil uses that opportunity to put one thing, and that's fear inside of Pharaoh. Well, they're, they're getting kind of big. If they get really big, what could happen is they're going to go join the enemies, and they're going to rise up in rebellion and attack, and basically I could lose everything that I have. That cannot happen. And so Satan's strategy uses that fear that Pharaoh had and decided to make, and Pharaoh decided to make the Israelites under slavery under bondage, under taskmaster, taskmasters, as it says in the ESV. Terribly mistreated. The Israelites, they still grew in numbers, though, which is, I think, awesome. And then, so the Pharaoh took another step higher. He decided to put out an order to all the midwives. Every single male baby that's born, kill it. He took the strategy to the next step. If I can't destroy... Uh, you know, this growing rate by putting them under bondage, I'm going to take the next step. I'm going to start to kill. And he decides to kill the male babies. Now, what's awesome is that the midwives couldn't do it because they had the fear of God in them. 
And when the Pharaoh realized that nothing was going on, again, he decided to strategize. You know what? I still need my plan to go through. I'm going to ask everybody to whenever they see a male baby being born, it must be thrown in the Nile River. He made a decree. See, Satan had strategies because there was a man that I think he got whiff of, didn't probably know everything about, but he got whiff of that was going to come to bring a mighty revival with the Israelites. And that man was named Moses. And despite all of the strategy, Moses was born. But there was strategy. Think about when Jesus was born. We had King Herod. King Herod knew about the Son of God coming and la, 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 Bethlehem. So he decided to strategize and ask the three wise men to, and deceive them. He uses deception. Yeah, you know what? I want to worship that baby too. Uh, why don't you just go there and then tell me where he is and then I'll go and pay my respects. He lies and manipulates and deceives. He uses his strategy to try to get his way done. Because again, where was he? He was in a place of insecurity, fear. When that didn't work out and his plan got busted, he took it another step forward and he decided to decree that every single male, Hebrew male, at the age of two and younger were to be killed in Bethlehem. Excuse me. There was strategy. Think about the Israelites and God. When Moses went up to receive the Ten Commandments, Satan thought to himself, this is the perfect chance for me to cause some distraction. Moses is away. Aaron and Miriam's in charge. You know what? They're, they're all right, but why don't I cause dissension and discontentment with all the people? And he does. And what happens? They decide that, you know what? Forget about God. We're going to get all our gold together and we're going to mold ourselves a cow and we're going to bow down to the cow. There was strategy behind the attack. We just heard a message this past Sunday on the seven mountains. And I think it was a download of strategy that we should have as Christians, but also strategy that the enemy had. Strategy on taking the mountain of arts and entertainment, business, education, family, government, media, religion. There was strategy. The devil knows what he's doing. He's not in this war blindsided. You see, he has a plan and he's sticking to it. On a smaller scale, he has a strategy for us as well. You know, I look and I see the tarot card readings and horoscopes and it's all fun and games. But I see strategy when I look at that. Let's just make it a fun thing for everybody to do. Let's, I just, there's just strategy behind that. So that everybody will go for a tarot card reading, not because they believe it, but just for fun. And boom, they open themselves up for the work of the enemy. Or something like yoga. I looked at J. Crew the other day, jcrew.com, and they have yoga gear now. I was like, what? Really? Like yoga, now yoga, you know, yoga clothes is a new trend. Right? And I'm like, again, strategy. Let's make it hip, trendy, fun. Now, I'm not saying that every wrong thing that happens in your life should be accredited to the devil. But I'm saying that we got to be aware of his desire to overcome us. His desire to defeat us, to imprison us, and to put us under his authority. 
Second Corinthians chapter two, verse 11 says, for we are not unaware of his schemes, his referring to Satan. But I have good news, brothers and sisters. You see, while the enemy has plans to kill, steal, and destroy, God also has plans. And God's plans are not to harm us, but they're good. A plans for hope and a future. Amen? God also strategizes and uses strategy to bring forth victory in God's people. There's another sea of examples that we can look to the word of God where he does that. Look at Gideon. Gideon is just 300. God causes Gideon to just use 300 of his soldiers. And yet still God strategizes and tells Gideon exactly what to do to the T and even causes a dream to happen in the enemy so that the 300 would defeat thousands. Look at the countless victories of David and his army. If you look specifically, David always does something. He always asks God, are you going to give them into my hands? He asks the Lord. And two, he always asks what to do. And God always tells him. And sometimes it's so specific. First Chronicles 14, 14, it says that God uh, shares, you shall not go after them, go around and come against them opposite the balsam trees. It's like so specific. Don't go there, go around, go by the trees. Strategy. God gave strategy to David countless numbers of times in order for him to get the victory. Look at the wall of Jericho. How did that wall come down? Strategy. And again, it's not a strategy that comes from man's wisdom, but clearly a strategy that comes from God's wisdom. I even look at David and Nathan when David, King David messed up and Nathan had this job to do and confront David. He was so clever and wise. Instead of being like, David, you adulterer, you murderer, he simply told a story. And David heard that story and got so infuriated. And all of a sudden, Nathan's like, that man is you. Man, that's strategy. That's strategy. Otherwise, who knows how King David would have reacted if Nathan came running in there pointing his finger. He's the king. Do you know what I'm saying? Naomi and Ruth. Go in the threshing floor and uncover his feet and lie there. That's strategy. All right? There's, if you read Ruth chapter 3, I'm like reading the first 15 verses, and I'm like, wow. Very specific. Wait till he finished eating. Wait till he finished drinking. And then tiptoe. Make sure he doesn't see you. I'm like, you know what? This is like borderline manipulation. But it's not. You see, it's strategy. It was strategy. You know, when I think about strategy, I think about Pattaya. I mentioned earlier. We went to Pattaya, and the way that we evangelized was very strategic. We made sure that we didn't go and start, you know, talking about Jesus, Jesus this, Jesus that. We just wanted to be their friend. They encouraged us, you know what, just get to know the women first. Just show them that you're actually interested in who they are. It was strategy. Love on them. Show them respect and honor. Give them gifts. Show them that they're special. It was strategy. I believe that's why we saw so much amazing things in Pattaya because the strategy was already laid out before us. Even treasure hunts in itself, it's a type of strategy to go out and find God's lost. Is it the only strategy? Definitely not. But is it a strategy? Yes, it is. It's a strategy. 
You know, when I think of that word strategy, one game comes to mind. And it's not risk. It's chess. When I was younger, I used to play checkers with my brother. And I was a total cheater because whenever he went to the bathroom, I'd like... So what he used to do is he used to memorize every single piece before he go because he learned that I was a cheater. Um, when, we, when he taught me chess, uh, I knew that it wasn't so easy. And uh, my problem was the same problem I had when it came to shooting pool. All I knew was the short game. Okay? All I thought about was my pawn going here or my knight going here and then me trying to kill just one piece. I did not think about the fact that the whole point was to get the king. See, it was all about the short game. I was so short-sighted when it came to chess. You know, but when you continue to play chess, you realize that chess, chess is all about the long, long game. The, lo- the long game, right? It's about strategy and the end product. How do you win? You got to be aware of not just the next step you're going to take, but the next 15 steps. That's how you play chess. Obviously, I don't like that game very much. But still, when I first started playing chess, I remember one thing. I got really upset after every piece was killed. Like, if one pawn was killed, I'd be like, oh, why? Oh, and I'd kick the sofa. I was always a really big sore loser. And I'd like cry over this one pawn. Like, every single time a piece got knocked off, like, I thought it was the end of the world because I didn't see the long term. I just thought short sight, my piece got killed, it's over. You see? But when you begin to develop strategy in the game of chess, even if your pawn gets killed, Sometimes it's exactly what you need to take the other opponent's knight. Sometimes your knight needs to get knocked off in order for you to get to the other opponent's queen. And it goes so on and so on. And I realized, man, once I thought of strategy, the idea of cost made so much more sense to me. And it's the same even for us. While we're in this war, there's cost to pay. The war is not free. We have to sacrifice And some of us know that oh too well, but we have the wrong perspective about it. We have to sacrifice and then we get so down on ourselves. Why am I not getting this time? How come I can't do this? That person's going snowboarding. I want to go. Why can't I go? Oh, woe is me. Life is over. We laugh, but we do that all the time. We just get into those modes where we get so short-sighted. And we forget about the war that we're in and the strategy that God has us in that is not for the next move, but for the next 20 moves. Do you understand what I'm saying? When it's in that context, all of a sudden, the cost, you know what? It's worth it. It's worth it. If I have to miss snowboarding for six months in order for revival to happen at my church, I'm game. I'm in. When you start putting in that perspective, things begin to change. You know, hold on a second. The thing about chess is you got to know your next move. That's just how it works, right? But sometimes you decide 15 moves and then the opponent does something else and everything needs to change. You know, you develop strategies, and we do do that. We realize, you know what, we need strategies, so we're going to do A, B, and C in order for this to happen. But what we forget is it's just not like that. we got to be adaptable, ready for change, ready to see what that other person's going to throw at us, and begin to quickly 
reassess what's going on and move forward. Sometimes we get so stuck that our original plan just got jacked up. And so we're like, oh my gosh, we don't know what's going on. We don't know what we're going to do. But what God is saying is, it's okay, assess and adjust. You know, chess players that are awesome, they're very adaptable. They're very, very adaptable. And they know how to assess the situation. For, for them, and I did all this YouTube search because I know nothing about chess, but now I feel like I know everything. Um, but for chess players, it's all about position. Their strategy is about positioning their pieces exactly where it needs to be in order for the victory to happen. And when the position is just right... It's checkmate. And there's nothing that the opponent can do. We got to learn as an army of God, not only to strategize, but to understand the purpose of positioning in strategy. You know, I believe Marcus gave a message a, a while ago, maybe a couple of weeks ago, and he briefly talked about positioning. And that he felt in his spirit, and he shared with this with me often, that he feels like New Philly is going into a time of positioning. And I don't think that's just because we are to prosper and, you know, we got the favor of God, although I do see that. But I don't think that's the end goal. I think there's something a lot more long-term that's in store for the positioning that our brothers and sisters have at this church. You know, some strategies, it's easy to memorize if you just have a book of strategies. Chess players, they got all these books, they learn it. Guess what? We have a book, okay? That's filled with strategies. Does it tell you exactly when to do what? No, not really. But that's the purpose of the relationship of God and you. When you develop your relationship and then you read this book of strategies, all of a sudden you get this insight and revelation of what to do in your particular situation. Because God is not just concerned about New Philadelphia Church. He's very much concerned about you and the obstacles that you're trying to overcome. And the trials that you're facing. And guess what? He's got strategies for all of that as well. So how do we tap in? If strategies are so important, the question is, how do we tap in to God's strategies? It's very, very simple. We ask. We have not because we ask not. Maybe we don't think about the need of strategies normally because we forget that we're in this war. But I want to challenge you guys. We're readying ourselves for 2010. And I know some of us are praying for a vision and some of us are praying for those big dreams. Well, that's amazing. But in order to get to your big dreams and your big vision, you need strategy. And so I want to bring this out there. As you pray for 2010, ask God specifically, Lord Give me revelation about how I can get there. What I need to do to get there. You know, each strategy that God gave to King David with each battle he faced, it was a response, an answer to King David's utter dependency and trust in God. You know, I'm not telling you guys to calculate without God. I'm challenging you to go to God. You know, are there battles and obstacles in your life right now? 
Is there something that you're trying to overcome right now? Is there a family member that you're trying to reach right now? Well, guess what? Ask the Lord and he will give you strategy. He will give you strategy. You know, there's a difference between strategy and manipulation, by the way. Sometimes we think, oh, strategy, I'm manipulating. Ah. <laughs> Let me clarify a little bit. I think manipulation is like Satan's version of strategy. Manipulation, domination, intimidation, we talked about that, right? That's Satan's vehicle for his strategy to get things done. It's inspired and it's, it's caused by insecurity and fear. Not at all from a place of rest and security. See, there's the difference right there. When you think strategy, it comes from the wisdom of God, from the peace of God, from the knowledge of God. When you think manipulation, it's very much about you and, and your, when you think about manipulation, it's very much about insecurity and fear. You know, I think God is calling all of us to tap in. It's there for us. It's there for us. We can tap in to his wisdom. We can tap into his plans and his purposes to come to pass. And we can tap in to the commander in chief who's got all the strategies in the heavenlies. We can tap into that. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father God, we just thank you that when it comes to the war, you already won. That Father, the greatest strategy that you had, the greatest plan that you had, O oh Lord, was your son, Jesus Christ. Father, being born on this earth, sinless, perfect, and led to the cross. Father, and we look to you not out of a place of fear and insecurity, but we look to you from a place of peace and position. And we ask you, God, would you begin to reveal to each and every single one of us the strategies that you want us to understand and uphold and play out in our personal lives and for this church. For this conference that we're praying about, Lord, give us strategy. Give Christian strategy, Lord, to speak with the pastors. Thank you for that stra strategic move for the lunch, God. That was from you. That was strategy. And we thank you. That's the beginning. That's a tip of the iceberg for all the revelation that you have in store for him as head of this house, O oh Lord. Father God, and we pray for us personally, God, not just in the warfare of this church, not just in the warfare of kingdom, of your kingdom coming on this earth, but even in our personal lives. The father that we want to see saved. The school that we want to see revived. God, we know that you've given us this vision, but you also have in store for us the ways to get to that vision, Lord. The way to see the fulfillment of your vision. And so, Father, we just ask that you would stir a hunger in each of us. That we realize that we got the source right by us. And that we would tap into you, Lord. And, Father, we would ask and then receive. Father, we thank you that 2010, you have so many amazing things in store for your church. You have so many dreams that you want to place in us and fulfill through us, Lord. 
But God, we also know that you just don't leave it at that. But you are a God that lights a lamp upon our feet. You are a God that guides us. You are the God, O Lord, that leads us step by step. And so, Father, we just want to pray, God, that you will continue to increase the knowledge of who you are to each and every single one of us. Lord, we love you. We thank you. And we just seal all the works that you're doing in each of these people here, even in their workplace, God. Give them strategies. Strategies to reach their bosses, Lord. Father, even in their schools, give them strategies. Oh, Lord, to reach their teachers, the principal. Even at Yonsei, God, give us strategy. Father, we, we thank you. We love you. And we continue to stand upon the victory that you already won for us. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen.